podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and we are joined by another awesome guest today, and I'm super excited. Welcome to the podcast, Satyam. It is a pleasure to have you with us today. Uh, same here. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you for having me, Kyle. Awesome. Well, let me do a quick intro, and then you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, Satyam has led various in-house design organizations at companies such as Citrix and PayPal. He's also an alumnus of Harvard Business School and is now the founder of UX Reactor, which is a a specialized UX design firm and the author of a new book, uh, which is a great read. I just finished it uh, last week. So Satyam, I am super excited for our conversation, Uh, but why don't you tell us more about yourself? Uh, Thank you, Kyle. Um, So as you mentioned, I'm Satyam Kantamneni. Uh, I'm the uh, founder uh, and the chief troublemaker at a firm, uh, design firm called uh, UX uh, Reactor. Uh, I think the essence of uh, the firm overall, uh, to just give you an introduction, has been uh, to kind of, it's, I also call it the biggest experiment in my life, uh, where we're trying to understand how can design drive business value uh, as a multiplier. And uh, so that was a basic uh, problem statement uh, to start the firm. And uh, and that's how, uh, you know, uh, I think we are uh, eight years in the journey. Uh, my background is in engineering. I, I, I'm a trained electronics engineer. Uh, then I've uh, studied human factors engineering after that. Uh, so studied technology and how technology related to humans. And then studied business, as you mentioned, at Harvard Business School. So uh, the trifecta of design, technology, and uh, business. Uh, so uh, fortunate enough. And I really believe in the construct of creativity is and multiple dots from different contexts connect. And I've been privileged to have uh, at least studied three different varied uh, streams of line, line, streams of thought. And, and that also influences a lot of how we operate. Um, that's super interesting. And I'm, I'm excited to dive into more of your experience because I think it's, it's fascinating and it has obviously shaped not only what you've done previously, but a lot of what you're doing and how you're helping other businesses and companies, which is really, really interesting. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you enjoy doing outside of, you know, some of the UX and engineering and uh, some of the UX reactor things? I have a few interests. Uh, I, I, I am a big uh, fan of military history, uh, especially history related to the Second World War. Uh, every book I can find, I try to read every movie that comes out, I watch, try to watch. Uh, I'm a big, obviously, watch a lot of History Channel in that context. Uh, from an outdoor perspective, uh, I like high altitude, uh, you know, trekking. That's something that uh, I try to do as much as I can. Uh, the last one I summited uh, was a mountain, which was uh, 15,500 feet in the Himalayas. Uh, and uh, the pandemic obviously put some spanner to that, but my goal is to kind of continue to do that. So again, that's where it, that's what keeps me grounded. And also, uh, I think it's a when you're in a mountain by yourself uh, with no technology, I think it's a very different way of meditating. Uh, and so that's also where I get a lot of my energy. Wow, um, that, that's super super interesting. So is that the the highest mountain that you've summited so far? Uh, the most recent one, or have you done higher ones? So far, yeah. Okay. So I think it's a high altitude trek, uh, and uh, so it's not the same as a technical mountaineering. Mm-hmm. 
but that's the highest that I've summited so far. And uh, in my list, obviously, I want to try to see if I can get to Mount Whitney, Mount Rainier. Uh, I think there's some uh, in ones in the, U- in the U.S. But yeah, my goal is to kind of do more of that. Uh, as I get older, I want to do more. Very nice. All right. That sounds that sounds really, really interesting. What's the highest one that you have on your sites? Is it, you know, is it some of the big ones like Everest and uh, K2 or are those, you know, not right now? I think Everest Base Camp is something that I've thought about multiple times. And that is a 18 and a half thousand feet, uh, you know, uh, climb. So, uh, and that's when the base camp is. So then from there you start your true Everest mountaineering, uh, which obviously is not a mountaineer. Uh, but yeah, I think that is obviously something that's on my bucket list. I want to do that uh, sooner than later. Okay. All right. Very cool. Okay. Uh, well, let's, let's dive into it because, you know, obviously super interested in both the book and, you know, some of the experience that, that you have. So, you know, we mentioned Citrix, PayPal, Harvard Business School, now UX Reactor, quite the, quite the resume. If you were to sum up you know, a key idea or, or to kind of wrap up a lot of this experience into, you know, a key idea or a key learning or a key takeaway, you know, could you do that? And, and what would that be from, from your career so far to kind of sum everything up? I think the single line statement that comes to my mind uh, is uh, the pursuit of driving business value. Uh, and uh, each one of them is uh, in a, has been successful in different levels in this across the spectrum, uh, but all of them have the same uh, essence. Uh, I would say I was less successful uh, in my earlier uh, roles, and obviously that also became the pursuit of uh, building the firm at UX Reactor, uh, because there's different kinds of value, as I call out in the book too, there's different kinds of value that can be created for the business, and I always felt that we were creating value on more on the micro level than the macro. Uh, and so that became the foundational, uh, you know, call to action. But all of them were trying to do the same. Uh, you know, every organization I've been in is like, how can design help the organization be more effective and efficient? Uh, it's again, some were more successful than others. Right. Okay. No, that's really interesting. All right. We, we've kind of talked a little bit about it, but you've you've released the book, uh, User Experience Design: A Practical Playbook to Fuel Business Growth. And it's great. I, I found it really interesting as I was going through because it's the first part of it is narrative. And then the second part of it is actual playbook. Um, you know, you have like the subtitle there, a practical playbook to fuel business business growth. And that's like literally what the book part of the book is, is a playbook where you can go through and there's actual like work workbook style things where you can go through with with a team or with a group and actually run the plays yeah. and run these, these, these playbook type exercises to do things um, that are in here. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, but I thought that was really, really interesting along with the frameworks that, that you kind of go through. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the thinking behind the book, what drove you to kind of take that approach and, you know, a little bit more about the background in writing it. So I think it's a, it's a- I think building a product and building a, and writing a book are not very different. I just <laughs> did not connect the dots early. Uh, partially because you still are trying to build it for an audience. Uh, in our case, when we started studying uh, how businesses can drive value through design, we realized it's actually a multi-persona, multi-context uh, 
you know, situation. You have a leader that's driving it. You have practitioners that are doing it. You have collaborators who are collaborating with it. Uh, and you have newbies uh, who are coming into this line of work. So there's a lot of different people who are getting involved. So the goal was how do we kind of get them to kind of uh, activate uh, around uh, driving uh, insane business value through design. Uh, and in order to do that, we kind of uh, sat down and said, uh, me and the team sat down and said, you know, what are some of the key problems they are, uh, you know, struggling with? Uh, and each each of these personas. So uh, we realized that business leaders are like, like, how do I measure design or business leaders? How do I build a design team? How do I, uh, you know, activate research? There was a lot of these how do I statements. So we had 27 how do I statements that we kind of came down to. Uh, and we said, we're going to write a play for each statement. Uh, and we're not going to write a prescriptive play, but we're going to write a mindful play, which is also a big shift because the challenge is there's, there's no single uh, prescription for everyone. So what we said is you need to be mindful of X, Y, and Z. And we defined uh, about half a dozen to uh, you know a little bit more uh, variables for each play. So if someone wants to build a career ladder for the profession of user experience within their firm, then we actually called it out like what are the different things they need to be mindful of so they think about it and build it. So that is where the playbook comes into play. Just the same way as like, hey, when you know if somebody was going to design a party in their home, uh, we say, you know, think about the guests, think about the you know, cuisine, think about uh, the, the dietary restriction, think about, uh, you know, alcohol and who's going to serve it. So there's all these things you need to be mindful of. Uh, and that's kind of how we have structured it. So everybody in this or the five personas that are there can drive it. But more importantly, it's written for business leaders and business stakeholders because there's a lot of design books written do this i want to be like those top companies that have been driving business through design but i just don't know how and this book was written for them as a single place that they could go in and understand the different elements the different variables the different mindsets and truly build a team that's going to make them win in this game of uh, you know driving business value by design and that was the essence so it was a process of iteration like building a product we re- we, re- we tested it we traded on it we had to kind of rewrite it a couple of times and thanks to Wiley, who was very, very uh, you know, patient with us through this as a publisher. But finally, I think we, we put out a good reason we put product out there. And uh, so far, it's been getting uh, more uh, one or two uh, you know, uh, locations or uh, geographies that you're working in. We are getting feedback from people in Malaysia and Australia and in, you know, Europe. So it's kind of been fascinating in that to just observe how people are uh, resonating with it. Wow. That, that's, that's really, really great. Um, and the process of going through and writing a book is it, it's super interesting uh, because like kind of like you mentioned not that different than uh, you know building a product and the the iterative approach and the feedback and then you know taking that and incorporating it and making it better each time and then you know really ultimately creating something that is useful for the people who are going out and and are the users of it and the customers of it so it's like taking the the same mindset that we as as product people and designers have and, and create again, creating a product that is, is hopefully serving a purpose and solving a problem for them. So I think that's a, it's a, it's a really good approach to it. So yeah. Diving into the book a little bit. Um, you mentioned that there are, are multiple levels of design focus with UI being kind of like the, the user interface, the product experience, and then the, the XT, can you can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I, I thought that was a really interesting approach to thinking about, like within an organization, how you can think about 
the levels of almost like design maturity, but the three levels of design focus, as you kind of mentioned. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's fascinating, uh, as, as I mentioned to you, the, con, the, the thread between all my experiences with all the organizations I've worked with have predominantly been, how do we drive business value by design? That actually, that, while that was common, the challenge that we had was what is the definition of value? So, there, so there's a UI level value, mm-hmm. which like majority of the people who call themselves UX designers are practicing UX designers. Uh, and even now I see across LinkedIn, like, hey, do you like this UI or do you like this UI? I mean, that is awesome. I mean, that is a critical skill but it's not what the profession is about. Uh, it's So the UI is designing a screen or designing an interaction with user research or design. That's kind of what UI is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when you start looking at it on a much more bigger level, the next level, which is product experience or a platform experience, where you have to think about the same construct across different modalities, different situations, that is actually when you start thinking about the, you know much bigger problem. I mean, when you're designing a Uber is defined different from designing a booking a you know a, a ride screen, right? So I think there is there's a lot more moving parts. There's a driver. There's a uh, you know ad- administrator in the back. Uh, there's an operations person in the back. There is a, a right uh, rider. So there's so many people who are designing for a platform, and that's kind of is a very different mindset especially when you look at B2B products and so on and so forth. It's not about screen. It's about designing a system, which is what the next level of value creation is and which is why you notice a lot of B2B companies are not as you know, effective in, in leveraging that value creation as you know, creating a beautiful you know, screen or a uh, page. The third level, which is the level that actually many companies have not yet completely gotten to, is the organizations that are experientially transformed or what we call XT. Uh, these are organizations that understand the user really well across the org. This is not a PM who talks to the user or a marketer who talks to a user. This is the whole organization understand who the user is. They have high empathy for the user. They are innovating around the user. They are always tracking about you know, you know, the problems that they have around the user. Anyone in the company knows what are the top issues with their, who are the users, what are the journey, what are the top issue. So there's a very different uh, activation that happens when you are running on an XT level. Uh, organizations and silos are broken down. There's a lot of those nuances that happen. And uh, and that is the third level of value creation. And obviously, as you get higher in the value, you kind of are generating a, a much bigger moat, uh, which uh, com- you know your competitors can't get into. Uh, and more importantly, you're also generating insane value. Uh, so often I ask people that are talking to me, I said, you know, why is it that Apple... Uh, creates a subset of all the products that Samsung creates, but Apple is the most valuable company and Samsung isn't. Right? <laughs> Samsung does everything that Apple does and makes more. Uh, it makes TVs, it makes you know refrigerators, washing machines, but why is it that one is more valuable than other? I think that's the fundamental aspect is like one is much more activated around the user and the experiences and so on, and the other is looking at it in a UI level. And that's why I think it was interesting when Samsung... Apple suit Samsung. It was still UI level. Like you, you copied my grounded corners or my, you know, styles. And I'm like, those obviously can be copied within weeks and months. But then when you start looking at, you know, being user centered from your, as your DNA, uh, that's what I tell business leaders. It's like if you want to live a decade, focus on the user on XT level. If you want to live like a couple of years, then obviously focus on the PX level. If you want to live uh, a couple of quarters and make your numbers, then focus on the UI level. Yeah. Yeah. I found that to be just, it, it rang so true and I loved it so much because it's so, the easiest thing to focus on really is that UI level. Like when you're just looking at the screen and saying like, Hey, 
here's the changes that that we need to make or you know here from either a stakeholder perspective or a designer perspective like whatever the perspective like those are easy things to do because it is it's very much like what you're seeing on the screen and you know that's it, it's very right. it's de- it's very deceptive because you know those are things that like you said anybody can copy and then when you get into the next level taking that a layer deeper like the product experience which you know a lot of us focus on. And and I think that's even more critical because, you know, the UI is important, but that's just like the visual layer getting into the, the product where you're actually like getting into the interactive experience and how does, how does it actually flow and, and what's the interaction? Like that's far more important than the UI because that's like how we actually interact with it. But then taking that even to the next level, like you're talking about where it's, it's not just the product experience and and the interaction there. It's making that part of the entire system within the company that it's not just like, it's not the UI, which is very surface level. It's not just the product, which is tying it all together, but then it's tying that product to the entire company. So it's not just the product team and designers who understand it, but it's, you know, the, the sales and CS, uh, the customer support and everybody is tied into this whole ecosystem and it's built around delivering that value to a customer in a way that just can't be replicated by competitors or by other companies. Like you mentioned with Apple, like that's you to build that into the DNA of a company is so much more difficult than just building a pretty UI or even a good product experience, which is, is difficult, but it's not as difficult as building a company that has the whole experience top to bottom of focusing on that type of value. I, I, I thought that was just a really, really good way of looking at it. I actually can give you an example, Kyle, that may actually help the yeah. listeners a bit. Uh, if I may, uh, so we actually were working with a client. Uh, the big thing is, as most companies today, they had a distributed team uh, and they had the largest engineering uh, team uh, in uh, India. Uh, and uh, now the challenge is that, you know, you're as smart as the engineers are in India. Uh, they, they don't understand the true context of the users that are using and the product is being used by uh, people in the United States uh, and the users are in the United States. So and. The challenge was that, you know, obviously, you know, requirements were being given uh, and then people are designing through those requirements or building the product to that requirements. But then there was a lot of gap in like, you know, bugs and, you know, issues and like not thinking through the thing. And then we root caused it saying that they have no idea how this will actually play out because they never understand how that uh, healthcare system, in this case, it was automotive dealership, how a dealership works. So we actually said, you know what? let's change. So then in order to activate the XT part, we said everybody who joins the company has to understand who the users are. We will, they will listen to. And so in this case, obviously we had to create artifacts from the research that we had done and create material for everyone to get onboarded, them to listen to the customer, observe the customer, uh, get video reels of the customer. So get them to empathize way more than just saying like, oh, there is a certain persona. And that activation itself started helping people because now in discussions and ideation, it's not like, give me the spec and I'll code it. It's like they're asking the why questions. And then when why everybody's starting to ask the why around the user, you actually have quality automatically improving. It's not somebody that, you know, and you're not quality checking implementation, but you're quality checking the outcome that have we achieved 
the problem that or, or the solution that we needed to solve for the user. And in this case, we that took a process for us to take a step back, work with HR, work with uh, uh, onboarding, work with the engineering managers. But that was a shift. And we write in the book called Empathy Scale, but that actually allowed us to kind of increase the empathy scale of the teams. And that allowed them to kind of truly now start getting more involved. And obviously, you know, they are such a valuable company today. Uh, and we see these small, small activities that start driving bigger business value uh, when you're experientially transformed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that that's that's perfect. It makes perfect sense. Um, you also mentioned, too, some statistics around uh, that that you found that around 20% of companies have no focus when it comes to this. Around 50% focus on right. on UI, which uh, anecdotally, that rings pretty true. 25% focus on product, the product experience. And then about just 5% focus on the experience transformation or the whole organization. As you kind of progress along that path, and the value that you create really grows and the ability to replicate it really shrinks like we've been talking about. And the ability kind of like for, like we've been talking about for the competitors to come in and, and replicate that it takes, you, you talk about this in the book that you go from being able to replicate a UI in, you know, weeks, a product in months and a company in, in years. Um, I, I guess wanted to just kind of like dive into that a little bit more, like what has been some, some more of your experience in that specifically in kind of helping people both come to that realization and then build into that mindset of, of, you know, focusing more on that and then creating like companies around the design transformation or the whole experience as opposed to just UI or product. So I think that the, the different parts to this conversation, I think the first thing is that many companies don't even know that XT is a possibility. PX is a possibility. That's the foundational problem. Uh, and because majority of them are focused on UI, because you know it's typically again it, uh, it's a reflection of where they report to. If they and most times they're reporting into uh, you know a team that's very tactically focused, which is like, hey, can we do a release? Can we get a specific? Then for that release, can we get the screens? I cannot tell you how many times I've had leaders come to me and said, I have 50 engineers, I have 20 engineers who are waiting there for screens, and can you give us screens really fast? That's that's why they I, they just don't know that there's a bigger sense to that. Uh, and then when there's some companies that move on from that stage to becoming product centric. Uh, and for us, we have actually uh, started putting a gate that when we realize that a company is coming from a UI centric perspective, uh, we may not be the best partner for them. So we actually do coach them on that. Uh, and some pe people would say, okay, fine. I mean, I need screens and you know, I'll go somewhere else. Uh, and this is the, the generation where they go to a Fiverr or they go to uh, Upwork and say, I'm on five screens, two screens, and so on and so forth. I mean, go get the screens. But you know, if your goal is to get a screen to get a screen, absolutely, you can do that. If your goal is to build be user-centered, that's not the way to do it. Okay. Now, product experience, which is kind of the, again, a, a, again, a smaller subset than uh, the, the few, they, are, they have the research, they activate, they think about road uh, journeys, they think about workflow, flows uh, and say like how can i make a workflow better if i can do it this way can i implement implemented some other aspect they're, they're looking much more system as uh, thinking perspective so we enjoy working with those companies we enjoy so again having worked with uh, the citrixes of the world and that's kind of where our where we've been spending a lot of energy where you're looking at 
uh, a user calling, uh, you know, doing self-service in the product or calling customer support or, you know, working with the professional services team kind of helping you migrate better. These are all systems and tools that need to come together on a platform level. And we make sure that every facet is thought through and built and you're looking at, you know, getting the whole product in place. And that is where uh, we've been generating a lot of value. A lot of the companies we work with are predominantly in the PX and the XT level. Uh, UI obviously is a side effect that comes through all that. Uh, and we are noticing that. We, in fact, you know, we have had companies that uh, have come to us with a back of napkin idea and for wanting UI, and we're like, nope, let's build a product experience. And then six years later, they're sold for nine figures. Uh, like, you know, we have had cognizations that came to us for PX, and then we're like, nope, you need to activate as a XT company. And then this are some of the things, as I say, we are uh, UX Reactor was an experiment for the longest while. So we would say, nope, I don't think this is going to solve it. Let's go do this. Again, it's like a teaching hospital. The doctors are looking at how do we solve that disease? In our case, how do we drive business value? And then we said, nope, you need to do research here. You need to activate your team overall with more empty. And in this case, the company uh, in six years was valued at three and a half billion and they grew 300% year over year last year. And the most important thing the other day, I noticed the news that uh, their biggest competition that when we started working uh, has now gone private. Uh, so, uh, and the CEO is no more the CEO. So there's a start, you start seeing those uh, impacts of when the business is truly turning, when you become, you know, customer centric and user centric. Uh, and then finally, they're talking about the moat itself. Uh, so the moat actually is a construct, you know, when you start looking from the study of business, Warren Buffett talks about it a lot more. He says, I'll only invest in companies that have a defensible moat. Uh, that means they have protection, uh, and moat is a construct that comes from the medieval ages where, uh, you know, a fort has a big protection that, you know, nobody can attack it. Uh, and the same applies to businesses. So we believe that design and experience, when you get to the XT level, the moat is so big because you have to change your people, your process, your environment, your mindsets. And to change that, it's a huge turnaround. And uh, leaders have to kind of go through that. So those who already made that turnaround and, and investment, you know, they are so far ahead that you know you really can't even catch up to them. Yeah. I I I think that's that's totally correct in in my experience as well is that uh, having uh, an organization that is focused on that is uh, just it's such uh, an advantage for the organization uh, competitively uh, and in just a number of different ways in what they're producing and uh and and shipping and then also like in attracting the best kind of talent to to an organization um you know because the Absolutely. i think that the best kind of people want to work for companies who are very focused on on creating the best things for their users and have that very focused mindset of you know, we're creating you know everybody is focused on being able to deliver that type of value for, for customers. And, and there's not, uh, that divided mindset of, you know, what every, you know, different groups are doing different types of things, but it's, it's, you know, very, very singular and, and it kind of permeates through everything. It just has a different feel to it. And, and speaking of that, you, you mentioned in the book too, that there are inside first organizations and user force user first organizations, which, which really stuck with me as well. Cause I have definitely worked and I've worked in and I've worked with both types of organizations, but tell us a little bit more about your experience 
seeing those types of organizations, both inside first and user. Well, tell us what those mean inside first and user first and, and some of your experiences with those types of, of organizations. So I'm, I'm sure a lot of the people would relate to this. Uh, you go into an organization and then uh, you have a leader who's, who's like, uh, I, I think this is what the user wants. Uh, and uh, if you ask the users uh, what they, I mean, the, the Henry Ford often used statement, like if you ask, uh, you know, what the users want, they'll just ask for a faster horse. So you get organizations that believe they know what they need. Uh, and exactly the example that I gave you, which is like, hey, I need 10 screens. I need, uh, so insight first are the organization internally as is, is driving uh, the innovation. Uh, and uh, so they are looking at uh, uh, maybe a top leader or a group of people who already discussed it. Uh, I, and you see those a lot of times. And I've, I've been, uh, I can give you an example where we were working with a client and we said, uh, you know, hey, we need to bring users in and we need to have a conversation with them. And they're like, nope, we already have all this data. We have salespeople who are selling to them. Let's kind of talk to them and then figure this out. And we did. And we actually spent the time. Uh, and four weeks down the line, we are like sitting there in a meeting saying that, are you sure this is what they want? And, and then they actually come to a point of realization, like, I'm not sure. And then we had to kind of, again, again, for us, we, we say, okay, we have to bring in users, add another, you know, a few weeks to kind of the process. But the whole essence is that's what Inside First is. And, and I'll give you a statistic that 40% of the products and features today are getting shipped without talking to even one user. Right. That's a report that McKinsey came out with. And it's just fascinating. And I'm not surprised because they are all like, you know, hey, we'll give what the users want and they will figure it out. Now, what's an outside uh, in uh, or a user uh, first organization? The user organization is like we always say the word user experience design is, is a very deliberate construction of you start with the user, you think about their experience, then you think about their design, and then you think about the technology that is needed to make that happen. It's not the other way around. Inside first organizations are like, I have this technology. I, you know, can we, we have this design. Can you make it work for the user? And that's the inside first organization. And outside first is like, who's my user? What's their experience? What's their design around making that experience happen? And that is where you can, the sequence actually changes and the mindset changes, how you operate changes, uh, how you incentivize changes. Everything evolves between these two organizations. And, and we strongly believe that, again, our fundamental belief is you follow the user you will get to the bank with a lot of money. You follow uh, your own internal systems and so on and so forth. You know, you will get somewhere with maybe a little bit efficiency, but you again will not be competing with, uh, you know, the best out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. And it can be a really difficult thing too. Um, I think in principle, we all understand that, uh, but it can be very, very difficult, especially I've seen that with younger uh, product managers and designers who feel like, you know, taking the feedback from uh, the, you know, the head of sales or the head of marketing or whoever the leaders are, you know, in the executive suite is primarily what their role is. And, you know, that can be an important input, but that's not like, that's not what the role is. Like it's important to understand that feedback, but it's not about, you know, taking the wish list from, you know, the, the head of sales or, you know, from the CEO and then making that happen. Like that's, that is kind of like you were saying, like that's the inside first, uh, point of view. And that is, that's not the way that you make like really good products. You can have, you can have people inside your organization who have like really good insight and good views. And, and those are important, but 
you have to take the user first perspective and and really create that type of culture where you understand what users are doing and what they need and go out and really talk with them and see and and understand that and then take that back and make sure everybody understands it as well um otherwise you really are building just what you want or what you know the the CEO wants or what the the marketing team wants and not what the user wants and that kind of like you said that can get you part of the way there but ultimately you're not going to have the the best product or the best company that you could if you if you took a user first perspective i think that the the simple fact in most organizations is that the users will always outlast the leaders <laughs> so follow the people that will be there the longest and that actually will define you know the success of the company uh, and whoever the leader is right and i think that if you really look at the leaders are also trying to activate around users if there's no customers there's no users for a product the company dies right there but if there's no ceo somebody else will step in i mean that the, the company will still continue and i think that's the that a sense of understanding organizational discipline or organizational uh, you know uh, intent i think is missing and but once you start once many people understand that uh it gets there it's it's not a easy job by the way i mean this this transformation uh is not easy i mean we we are working with organizations for you know uh, a long time some are successful some are not uh and, but it is a journey and those who are successful in doing it it takes the right people the right mindset the right environment uh and the right process and and, and if you're not willing to get to that investment obviously you will not get to that uh, you know, final value yeah You've you've touched on one of the things that I find uh, really really interesting and probably one of the most challenging things, which is the transformation and mindset shift. Uh, you maybe you can tell us a little bit more about uh, how you have seen successful transformations and shifts in organizations. You know what has worked and what hasn't, and and how have you seen. Uh, successes. You know what have been either some of the characteristics or things that have helped companies and organizations be successful. And then, on the flip side, you know maybe what are some of the things that that cause companies not to be able to make the shift to being more uh, experience focused or or uh, design. Yeah, the overall design and experience focused and user focused. Yeah, I think. Uh, we kind of define a, a formula in the book. Uh, we call it the BVD. Uh, business to drive business value by design, you need four key variables to work. Uh, you need the right people, the right process, the right mindsets, and the right environment. Uh, and all of them are multiplicative. So it's a multi. Uh, it's a formula. Is, is uh, each multiplies each other. But at the same time, with multiply one is zero, everything gets zeroed out. Uh, so uh, that's kind of the essence in terms of giving a mathematical uh, structure to it. Now, organizations that have succeeded uh, have uh, the right leaders. Uh, so I, we talk about the construct of a chief experience officer uh, because there are silos in every organization. You have to break those silos down. You need to have uh, a single person who's going to say, how is the experience going to work? Because the user really doesn't care how your org is structured. Uh, whether they're calling customer service or they're doing self-service or using professional service, they actually are ex ex expecting an experience that's cohesive and consistent. Yeah. Uh, but for that to be done, you need a single leader that's going to activate it. So, then, so again, from a people perspective, you need the right leaders, you need the right practitioners, 
you need the right collaborators and 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 so on and so forth. Uh, so that's kind of what we talk about and the, and the different kinds of people and then when bringing those people together. So that's why the most successful companies have the right people or the more mature companies have the researchers, the designers, the practitioners, uh, the collaborators, everybody are working together. Uh, at the same time, you know, as I said, 20% of the organizations have uh, still the engineer doing the screens and talking to users. And so they are trying to do, figure out the best that they can. Uh, so that, again, that doesn't work. Uh, having the right people works. Related to that is the right process. I mean, what's your process of, uh, you know, bringing insights into the company? And what's the process of curating it? What's the process of activating uh, your roadmaps around that? Uh, one of the biggest mistakes that companies are not effectively transformed is they don't even have a roadmap on the top users that they care, they care about. They have a product roadmap. They have a marketing roadmap. But my point is if your user is, you know, a doctor uh, who's going to be using that product, what's your roadmap for that doctor? How do you make their experience better every release, every month, every quarter that you're going forward with? And most leaders don't have one. And we say, what's your experience roadmap for each user that you really care about? So that's, again, procedural changes that need to kind of happen. Uh, mindsets. And I talk about the five mindsets in the book. And, you know, you need uh, most of the organizations are much more collaborative, much more, uh, you know, multidisciplinary. Uh, you know, you really need to kind of have people who think about the system, think about the business, think about the experience, think about the design, and then bring all that together. So there's a there's a lot of these subtleties that go into it. And, and the smaller you are, obviously, the faster you can make the changes. So when we work with, you know, our favorite area of working with companies is uh, mid-sized organizations that are less than 1,000 people and the leadership team all can fit in a single conference room of 10, 15 people. We, that's where we can activate the most. So that's where the larger you get, it's a bigger, uh, you know, a turnaround. Uh, and so we ourselves as a firm, we specialize in working with the, the medium-sized companies because leaders are much more aware, much more adaptable. Experiments can be run much more faster. And the final piece is, uh, which... Uh, is just overall environment, the culture, the environment that gets created in a company to activate on being user centric, right? Why can't a finance person come in and kind of ideate around how to solve the user's problem, right? Most organizations are siloed in a construct where, like, you know, hey, I'm a PM, I only uh, I define all the requirements, I, and you are a designer, you're going to do the screens. Oh, you are an engineer, you're going to code it. Oh, I, I, you know, so you are a you know professional services person, you're going to just deploy it this whole silos is like an environment that enables silos is actually obviously going to not be as successful and an organization that incentivizes thinking about the user bringing people together activating them around the inside these are that's kind of what successful companies look like and the more we have been doing this uh, with uh, the companies we work with we're starting to see a, first of all fun is increasing because people are starting to feel more empowered second is that they start experimentation is increasing because you know you're like hey can i try this i'm like absolutely let's try this because we especially when you work with digital tools everything can be the cost of experimentation is so low uh, and that also kind of improves and then when you're starting to activate and, and and ideate around users and user problems you start there's a certain energy that kind of comes in and that's why i said i mean we're seeing companies that go from like i'm designing screens to like hey i want to nail this for the user and then for that you know, you start seeing adjacent business models, you start looking at other models. So there's a lot of those things. Only 5% of the companies <laughs> get it. Uh, and uh, our goal is obviously to kind of get more and more companies into that layer. And uh, our journey so far has been fascinating working with the companies we have worked with. Yeah, no, that sounds really, really interesting. And to have each of those different areas, I think is so critical. Uh, and without each of them, 
you, you kind of, like you mentioned, you're not going to have success in a transformation. And I, I think that's definitely been my experience and, and it can be definitely one of the most difficult things, uh, you know, shifting the, uh, an, an organization because you have to have, you know, the, the, the right people and the leadership and the mindset and, and all of those things to make it, to make it work. For for you, what have you found makes a really good design team or a really good team in general in order to uh, affect some of these changes within an organization? I think, the, first of all, I would say the mindset of the team, right? So uh, I, I'll give you the example of UX React, at least. Uh, we have brought in, uh, we have 60 people uh, strong at this point, but of the 60 people, we have uh, 22 different educational disciplines. So we have uh, engineers, accountants, uh, fashion designers, graphic designers, uh, you know, every kind of engineer, mechanical, civil, electronics. So it, it just brings a lot of eclectic backgrounds together. Uh, however, uh, with a common intent, which is like, we're gonna all together solve uh, business problems through you know, experience design and understanding system design. Uh, so that's the first part, that they are eclectic. They come from different backgrounds. Second part is that, you know, you effectively, and, and I don't see that a lot more. I see a lot of like, you know, organizations are starting to silo themselves into like, I am so-and-so. And, and, and I talk about in the book, like the best designer that the world saw, uh, and, and all, often people, uh, even in, in the context, con uh, I, I would say uh, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, you know, here's somebody who lived in the Renaissance time uh, and, uh you know, is as good as, as a biologist, as he was a mathematician, as well as he was an engineer to, uh, you know, an artist. Uh, and, the, and the construct of a polymath, an organization that supports multidisciplines to come together, actually enables it. And that was also the strength of Steve Jobs. Was he the best designer? No. I mean, was he the best uh, a business person? No. But he understood all, a little bit of everything that he could connect the dots. And you see that with also other, it's that personal organization that supports that. Uh, these are the people, uh, that kind of will succeed. Uh, they are collaborative. They're experimental. They are uh, open to uh, being wrong. And uh, and they, they celebrate that as well. Many companies and leaders I've seen, they talk about failure, but but there's no construct around failure. And, that's, and there's no support structure around failure. Like, are you talking about giving the, uh, you know, the, the prize to the best experiment or the spectacular failure? No. I mean, until you don't incentivize, behaviors won't change. Do you have you put measures around failure? No, you haven't. That will not get activated. So these are the subtleties. But a good team, is eclectic. Now, uh, from a mindset level, so all these are, are still philosophical, but now when you talk about it in the context of experience design, you need people who are you are talking to the users and our users, so user research skills are important. You need leaders who are activating this and bringing and changing and uh, change agents in the organization. You need experience strategists and chief experience officers. You need uh, interaction designers who are looking at the system and designing the system and the workflows and so on and so forth. You're looking at visual designers or looking at, you know, this. so it's actually a multidisciplinary skill that needs to come together. A lot of UI-centric companies is that they hire one person and say, start designing screens, but I they want the impact of a PX. That will never happen because it's truly, uh, like you don't go to an hospital and say, just give me the, the, the anesthesiologist and the surgery will happen. No, I mean, it's a team that comes together. And ideally, if you're looking at a, a, a critical or a unique disease, then you need a collaborative team. And most of the times when you're designing products or experiences, it's high ambiguity. And when you're high ambiguity, you need high collaboration, high experimentation. And so, again, I, I kind of answered that in a lot of ways. So there's hard skills, there is a soft skills. I actually see the soft skills actually being a much bigger, important uh, element and a missing skill uh, today than the hard skills. Yeah, yeah. 
no, that, that, that makes a, a ton of sense. And having, having an eclectic team, uh, and a diverse team, and then bringing in a lot of those different skill sets, both the hard skills and the soft skills and making sure that it really is a team of complementary skills, like you said, where it, it's not just the best at one or two things, but it's all of the different skills that can kind of complement each other and, and make sure that the, it, it's complete kind of like you're saying so that it's to do the surgery. It's, it's everybody working together to make it happen with all of the different skills. I I think that's a really great analogy. You know, we, we've talked a lot about uh, transformation and organization and I'm curious, you know, how does that look in the evolving economy? Cause obviously, you know, a lot of things are, we've seen a lot of change over, you know, the course of, of, the pandemic the last few years and uh you were seeing a lot of change now too so how does all of this fit into the context of the change that's that's happened and the change that's happening now and and what potentially could be happening going forward absolutely i think one of the things that the pandemic did is it it put digitization in right in our face. I mean, uh, if education had to be 100% digitized, I mean, now people are looking at it because that's what happened for a, a whole year where universities and colleges had to go digital, healthcare had to go digital, uh, legal had to go digital. And, you know, you, you have a bunch of videos on YouTube where like, you know, you have Zoom, uh, you know, litigation going on, but that's not how it should work. I mean, you actually look at that, you know, uh, uh, education is a you know multi-billion dollar opportunity. Uh, healthcare is a trillion dollar opportunity. And these opportunities can still be highly enabled through experiences. Now, what's unfortunately happening, and again, before the pandemic too, there was a there was a huge push for digital transformation, which technology-led transformations. Uh, with the pandemic, obviously that became you know a must to survive. What you're noticing in the market right now is what I call digitally transform experientially painful. Uh, and these are where like, you know, you, you have to work through multiple systems, multiple logins and, you know, multiple screens to kind of go through a, a experience. And it's painful. It's, uh, you know, you can't remember. I mean, the other day I would like to give you an example that, you know, Costco, I've gone to Costco to return a product and, uh, you know, they could return the product that was bought in the store really with one click. But then online was a painful experience for them because they had to remember when I bought it. And they're asking me, when did you buy it? And I'm like, I don't remember when I bought it. I mean, is it within the last year or two? Because they looked through every aspect of it. They had to write the uh, order number and they had to go and return it manually. And that is, as I say, digitally transformed, experientially painful. And you're seeing a lot of that happen. So first of all, I think that needs to go away. And the company that figures this out, that how can they experientially transform these massive industries of healthcare, education, agriculture, uh, legal, they will have you know huge opportunity going forward. So that's the foundational belief. Now coming to the macroeconomic situation right now with the you know the headwinds of the economy and the recession and so on, I think this is a I actually believe it's a huge opportunity because companies cannot don't have they don't have to worry about the market pressure that I have to grow as fast as everyone else. They can take a step back and really now focus on what's right. Uh, there is still going to be investments, significant investments in tech. Uh, and but I think focusing on tech to enable it the right way, building the right experiences, enabling the right people, I think that is where the huge opportunity is. And I'm very, very bullish on the fact that the organizations that can leverage both the macroeconomic situation as well as what's happened with the, you know, tech tech enabled systems that are being you now thrust on us. Uh, I think this is uh, the future, and I, I believe the next decade is about experiences. And uh, because all products are 
really consistent on feature level uh, and and competition with especially the satisfaction of all the products is only a click away. So now experience is how you lead and how you kind of create a system experience is how you kind of bring in your customer and keep your customer together. And I think that is where we play. And that's why I'm very uh, bullish on uh, opportunities ahead for companies that get it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Uh, I, tons of opportunity, um, but also t- tons of space for, for vast improvement right now. And, and you can still see that. You know, we think about how far we've come, but there's still so much room for so much improvement in so many different industries. Like, um, and, and you named a, a number of them. I think those of us in a lot of the digital space think that, you know, we've, we've really tapped into a lot of it, but there's just so much untapped uh, space out there that needs uh, transformation and just has not really undergone the same level of, of both transformation and digitalization that, you know, uh, a lot of other industries have so far. So tons and tons of opportunity out there. Uh, for for those getting into uh, UX and design, uh, you know, what what kind of advice would you give for you know somebody starting out or somebody looking to kind of level up their their career right now? I, I would first of all, I would say this is an awesome career uh, if you're getting into uh, product and experience overall, which I actually see mm-hmm. as uh, two sides of the same coin. Uh, and, uh, this is a, uh, this is a phenomenal thing. If you have the aptitude and the attitude to go along, uh, and that's kind of the, I see as the biggest differentiator, the, the attitude of like, you know, Hey, you have problems always. I mean, it's not often, I mean, if you really think about how innovation or innovators thought uh, work, they saw a problem, they ideated on it, they prototype something on it, uh, and, uh, they take it to market and experiment with it. That in a sense is what today's skills and that's what the expectation is every problem can you can quickly ideate and that's what edison did and that's how he kind of became so successful and and that just became part of his daily routine and ethos and that's what we are as designers and product uh, stakeholders uh so for first of all that if you look at yourself and the mindset of that you're an innovator and you're kind of rapidly experimenting rapidly building and understanding stuff i think th- that will you know take uh the person in this profession of a long long way However, uh, I would also say that, you know, there is, it's still a profession of adolescence. There's no real, I mean, people from business background, I mean, both product and design uh, right now, people come from a lot of eclectic backgrounds. It's a melting pot. Uh, so it's a profession that's kind of uh, uh, coming to adolescence. So I think the factor is there's growing pains. And I, I think this is the time to kind of come in and kind of engage and, and, and kind of help uh, formulate this profession overall. So it's, it's exciting. Again, I say that it's an attitude uh, for an excitement to this. You know, this is the right profession. If you're going to follow along and follow a process or a method, I think this, you will get bored really fast. Uh, and uh, But this is, like I say, those who have the aptitude and attitude, this is the profession for the next decade. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely agree with that. Uh, you know, I wanted to also go to one of the examples. So we've talked about your book a whole bunch. And as far as some of the content at the beginning, but you have a whole number of, of examples within the playbook portion, which kind of go through and talk about, you know, different frameworks to use. And you talk a lot about, you know, using frameworks uh, that kind of give you just some things to go through, some examples to to walk through and use for different scenarios and different teams. I'd, I'd love to just, you know, use one as an example and, and highlight one and, and just, you know, show 
here's here's how to use it and, and here's you know how what to do. Is there one in there that stands out in your mind, either from our conversation or, or that you just have found particularly useful uh, in, in your experience? I think what would be relevant in the product and design is what I call a we call a product experience plan. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a plan, uh, it's a play that we called out uh, within the product thinking uh, seg- segment. Yeah. Uh, and we see a lot of leaders coming in and saying like, hey, uh, we need to design screens. And I'm like, okay, fine. While we are designing today's screens, what research are we doing for tomorrow? Uh, what uh, experiments What experiments are we doing for tomorrow? And what research are we doing for day after tomorrow? That mindset of saying, what is our 30-day to 90-day plan? around that. So that is a whole play that we kind of called out and we defined a lot of different things that need to happen. Most uh, program managers or scrum managers don't understand that. And so that's the reason why we kind of call that out. It's like, hey, you need to think about when you're activating around users and user centricity, you need to start planning those things. You can't be, and most of the research, unfortunately, uh, is very uh, summative in nature. What does that mean? It means that you're validating whether, you know, this works or in a way you are intended to. Uh, and that is one style of research. But then if you're looking at formative or generative research, you're looking at what are the pain points for users? And that has to be planned at least a, you know, a, a few weeks or months ahead before the, the you start activating that into your requirements or your plans. So again, having a 90-day plan at the product experience plan is what we call it as one play. Uh, then having a, a roadmap around user that you care about we call it the uh, experience roadmap play uh so those are all there's so many different plays i mean in a sense each one of them has their own value at different times so i don't think there's a favorite but i would call the product experience play is one play i would strongly call out for product stakeholders as well as uh, design stakeholders uh, uh to uh, design practitioners to kind of really activate around okay yeah no that, that's really good and i'm looking at it right now and it's great because it has like who to get involved uh, some uh, a section for like what to do and then how how to go through it and it, it's it's a really fascinating thing like it's a it's a full like here's the steps to do and, and here's what you're going to want to get out of it so um it's, it's really great stuff and there are a lot of a lot of plays in here for all different scenarios like you were talking about so it's a it's a, it's a really good playbook <laughs> Now, I just think that's the intent. Uh, the goal is it's still work in progress. We are still, you know, as we are working with stakeholders who are reading the book and, and are activating around it, uh, you know, we are adjusting and updating it. I'm sure there will be a second edition uh, as people engage uh, and then collaborate. Uh, but overall, I think the essence is uh, like one of the things within that experience, I'll just call out was many people don't plan out review cycles review cycles with different stakeholders and that and that becomes such a last minute angst so our goal is to kind of run zero angst so like again how do you plan that how do you plan your research your reviews your uh you know engagements and all those things have to be really thought through so it's again you have to be mindful about all those things to kind of run an effective uh, program and uh and that's kind of what we are uh, talking in each play yeah yeah no that's great uh well this has been a really really great conversation satyam and i i appreciate it is there Anything else before I, you know, we, I do have a couple last questions, but is there anything else that you would like to share before we, we kind of wrap this up? Uh, the only thing I would share is, uh, is that again, the book is available, uh, for anyone to buy in any of the, you know, their favorite booksellers, uh, Amazon, Target, Barnes and Nobles. Uh, but the more important thing is if anyone 
uh, buys the book and then finds it and resonate with it enough that they want to write a review, uh, just drop us a note or drop me a note at hello at uxreactor.com and we'll send you. We have a, a, a special uh, gift, a couple of gifts that we want to send over to uh, that person uh, that allows them to kind of further uh, engage with the, the content and the, and the material. Uh, but again, that's just the one thing I would say. I know we spoke a lot about the book, uh, but more importantly, the book allows people to kind of understand and do it themselves or at least be more uh, aware. And uh, again, if anyone wants to uh, kind of get more help, they can always reach out and we'll be happy to kind of talk. Okay, great. Well, we'll put those links in the show notes as well. So you can check out the book. Uh, you can reach out uh, to Satyam and check out UX Reactor as well. So I guess before we let you go, uh, you know, we like to end with a couple just uh, questions about uh, shout outs to, or, or gripes to anything, but if there's anything that you have been reading or watching uh, or listening to that you found particularly interesting recently. Uh, the most recent book I read uh, is uh, a book by, called Extreme Ownership, uh, a phenomenal book. Uh, it's it's uh, around the Navy SEALs and how they operate and how and, you know the, yeah. this particular the context was uh, in uh, the Iraq uh, war. And I just think there's a lot, I mean, uh, from a context of, so that's what I'm reading. And, and But that's the same as sense we need to operate on because we see a lot of problems. I think the, one of the biggest cancers for corporate innovation is silos. Uh, and, and, and the way to kind of uh, attack that is with extreme ownership uh, and uh, what we call an outcome mindset also in the book. Uh, but I would say that's one aspect. Uh, the other book that I have on my read list is Sapiens. Uh, I want to read about it, uh, read more of it. I've, I've been recommended to me. Uh, so again, there's, I try to read uh, or at least listen to uh, at least uh, one to two books uh, um, you know, uh, in a year that I really focus on, mm-hmm. which is not as much, but I, again, I, I'm, that's, I'm getting <laughs> better on that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Uh, yeah, extreme ownership is 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 a really really good one. I uh, love that one, and I I have not read Sapiens yet, but uh, it it keeps coming up over and over again. So it's on my short list as well. So probably have to get to it here in the next couple of weeks or so, hopefully. So that uh, yeah, every, every, everybody seems to recommend that one as well. So it sounds like a really good one. And then I guess finally, any products that you have been enjoying or not enjoying recently that you want to give a, a shout out to could be digital products or physical products, anything that you've liked or not liked recently. I mean, I, I, the, the unfortunate, I would say curse of being a designer is that you understand the sausage making <laughs> so well that you start identifying how a product was not working as well or what you expect uh, things are. So I think there is a, a, that's a much more critical on that and. But I must say, uh, some of the travel products that are out there, whether they are whether it's kayak or uh, you know other, they become much more user centric to the point of they understand where things are. It's not as transactional as uh, you know, hey, what's point A to point B. Yeah. Uh, so I would say there's some delight that's kind of coming in. The other day I saw where I could see a heat map of uh, all the different options from uh, you know my different destinations and uh, of my my point A to point B. And I'm like, oh, this is a great way for me to make a decision on when, when, and how, and so on and so yeah. forth. I wish they had added a few more other things to that to kind of continue that <laughs> journey. But again, I I would say those are the things. Uh, but products wise. Uh, uh, one of the products that we uh, designed that's actually doing really well in the automotive industry is uh, a product called Techion. Uh, and uh, so they basically uh, you know, are changing the way automotive retail works. 
uh, and experientially. Uh, and mm-hmm. so how you buy, how you uh, service, how you kind of uh, communicate with the dealership, how your data is kind of all evolving. So uh, again, check this company out. Uh, they're, they're going places and uh, they are, uh, you know, hyper growth, uh, doing really well. And, uh, and I'm really glad to be part of that journey. Very cool. Yeah. We'll have to take a look at that. That sounds really, really interesting. Cool. Well, uh, Satyam, again, it has been a, a great conversation, a real pleasure to both, uh, read through, uh, the book that you have written recently, uh, to talk to you about, uh, to talk to you about the book and all of your experience. We will put all of the links in the show notes so people can find out more about you, about that book, uh, about the work you've been doing. But uh, I want to say again, thank you very much. This has been a really, really great conversation. Likewise, Kyle. Thank you so much. Appreciate uh, you know you uh, being an awesome host. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter, Product Thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kyle Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again.